start of the episode here. I do need to make a redaction from last week's episode. It does in fact look like Gammy does play. Uh, not very well because I versed him and beat him. And also our team, Simple Meth, as Gammy puts it, beat his team. So there's that. But that Gabe fella, not sure if he plays Warhammer or not though. Hello and welcome to Unidentified Wargamer. Each week I interview a Wargamer and identify them in the hobby. This week I got one with me, Tom, or Alliance Tom, as he's known on Twitter. How you been, Tom? Yeah, I've been good, man. Uh, I had a tournament uh, yesterday, so uh, a bit, uh, bit knackered, but uh, yeah, doing good. Were you a play at the tournament or were you organizing the tournament? No, actually, this uh, this was uh, organized by someone else. So uh, I finally got to play uh, a tournament myself and not have to like set it up, break it down afterwards, <laughs> do do my own ceremony, uh, which happens a lot of the tournaments that I uh, I co to because we have a team of to. So I don't have to to do do everything for every event. So we we uh, switch around and play the events in turns. But you know, in the end, uh, you're still helping. Uh, doing any everything so this was the first time i could just relax uh after the tournament and not have to clean up everything and so it was really good actually yeah no stress of having to set it all up yeah. and then like you get to just rock up in the morning good to go and then obviously everyone helps about at the, at the end there for a little bit and then buggers off and you're good to go for the rest of your week back to normal again yeah really exactly. nice feeling for you yeah yeah that was great I, I still have the situation where people come to my table and ask me like rules questions and stuff because like because <laughs> tom's here now anyway so let's just quickly ask him which is yeah. i'm totally fine with i'm totally fine with that so that's not a problem at all obviously but uh that still happens but like uh, for the rest i i felt like a like a normal normal player quotation marks <laughs> yeah, yeah no longer being hassled constantly all day you get yes. to sort of relax a little bit but you do get the, the occasional odd question there do you find that's a bit of annoyance or you, you're pretty happy with answering people's questions no, I'm pretty okay with that, uh, honestly. Especially if it's like, because uh, Dutch community is pretty small. So especially the TOing community, we have like three TOs uh, doing all the events. And, um, you know, some TOs are more versed in the rules than others. And I think we should do it all together to like bring community up, have more events, get make the community, you know, have the community grow, uh, get more players in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with that because... Um, in the end, it's just me helping them run their event. And then uh, if, if I need them for anything, I'm, I know I can call them as well. So it's, it's a two-way street. What's sort of the Dutch scene like over there? Uh, what's it like? Yeah, it's uh, we have like... Uh, I started organizing events actually only uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, and then we had like... like There was an organization called Alliance Open, where I know I'm also a part of now. Uh, but... It was a group of five uh, people that mostly ran 40k events and then you know they thought well if we're already running events and, and and you know getting a venue let's just also cram some for aos tables in there which they did uh, they found a referee and uh but it it was really uh yeah startup uh very fresh very new and we had like 28 people events at the most sometimes maybe 32 it would be like big a big event for us yeah and now like we're a year and a half later and uh we have 50 man gts we had an 80 man team tournament last month so uh it's it's really growing but it's really really fresh and young really fresh and young community is it mainly people locally to you there or do you get a lot of international travel as well uh the team tournament had eight countries there 
uh, actually. And uh, we have a master's in February, which we did this year as well. In this year, this year it was in March. Uh, and we have yeah, we have players from France, UK, Denmark, uh, Switzerland, Malta, uh, all flying in to join our events now. So it's pretty cool, uh, and which is also very good for our local community because uh, like you, you can play the same. 30, 30 odd people every event but and you and you will learn a thing or two but when the international players come in and they have a completely different view what style of play and they come there like it's an expensive weekend for them right so they come there to perform um yeah that's that's a thing we can really use as a community to grow i think and get, be better oh that's good to hear then especially nice to sort of the local scenes growing as well as the international scene are willing to come over and sort of support the tournaments as well um, it's very different to our scene here because we've only really got the two countries for us, which is Australia <laughs> and New Zealand. Yeah. Like you, I think the last CanCon we went to, there was a few people that came over from Ireland and things like that. But that's a bit of a rarity. It's mainly pretty much Australia and New Zealand is the only scene we really get. So to hear like eight countries have flown in or more at other at other points <laughs> is crazy to hear about. Yeah, but for us, like you, have, you could have someone traveling further than any of the European people have to travel to my yeah, events, yeah. right? So it makes sense. But you, do you have like um, people from like the Asian part uh, or Indonesian part uh, coming in, or do they... not that I'm known of? I know maybe Western Australia when they have tournaments, they might have someone fly over, but we don't really interact with the Western Australia scene for some <laughs> reason. They just they just seem a bit more isolated and don't seem willing to come over because most of our tournaments are on like the eastern side mm -hmm. and sort of southeastern australia uh and then coming from perth i think it's about a six hour flight just to get to melbourne which is another gaming hub um but i've not heard of anyone flying over from east asia and anywhere in those regions and i think the closest we generally have is japan and i don't think they have a big scene or big enough that's willing to travel um, right but I'm, I'm not 100 sure China? about their scene yeah, I think China might have a big scene, but it's also pretty isolated. I never hear anything about events or uh, anything from there. The six-hour flight is insane, though, right? Because like I could fly to, from one part of Europe to the other and back in those same six hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, we had people fly up from Melbourne and that. I think that's a thirteen or fourteen. No, it's about an eighteen-hour drive, I believe. So that, that's how far they're flying to come up here because we just had the teams tournament. Hence, why my voice is a bit crackly and a bit uh. Yeah. all over the place um and we probably had i think three or four teams fly up from melbourne south australia victoria sort of region so that's generally about as far as people generally travel yeah interesting yeah and i think it's comparable to have be having international players really because it's just people actually speak the same language yeah that's <laughs> the benefit for us i, I suppose yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you find with uh, people speaking a lot of different languages over there how do you find the european scene in terms of language barriers and things like that uh, actually not that bad we like sometimes we have some players who are less first in English but that's not only the international players it's the Dutch community as well like uh, I think uh, I, I think I could say that like especially in the Dutch community with the Netherlands being a pretty open country and people actually knowing a lot of languages and speaking English very well uh, I think like 75 to 80 percent have a really good grasp of the English language English language uh, especially just you know, to be able to play a game of Warhammer, um, and then like with the international players coming in, I I, I think that's there that gives no problems because if you're not really first in English, I'm not sure if you'd actually like 
fly over or drive like 10 hours to visit an international event if you know you're not going to be able to really communicate with people. So uh, I suppose like the people flying in to visit our events, they're very versed in English, to be honest. So no, no issues. Yeah. Do you find with tournaments like that, because I know there's quite a big Spanish scene and a French scene. Do you find that if they were like English based, it's mainly English people that come over to them. And then when they're French or Spanish based, it's those speaking communities that travel for those events. Do you find they're quite insular and sort of isolated or they're pretty open? Mm, I We don't have a lot of Spanish players. Well, yeah, uh, we have like, I think Malta is like the furthest country flying in for us. And the French is interesting because I think they, last year they made the decision as a community that they, as a community, would go more to international events to to be better as a team. So I've seen them go to the London uh, GT I've seen them come to our events. I've seen them go to the German events. So I think for them, they're pretty open. But the other way around, actually, I don't hear a lot of, of our community or maybe even the UK community flying to Spain or France for their events. But it's also because, like, for example, on Twitter, I see a lot of the UK events and my events pass by on my timeline. But I don't hear a lot about the big French or Spanish uh, tournaments, to be honest. That could be me, could be the scene I'm, like, mostly involved with. But um, yeah, I don't think it's intentional. I don't think they're isolating themselves or something. It's just that they don't really appear on the international calendars or whatever, I, I believe. Okay. I wonder if it's like a, the algorithm yeah. doing its thing where it's not promoting people that don't speak English to you, seeing that you're not going to interact with that community if they don't speak English on Twitter or Facebook or anything. So then they don't cross-pollinate, so they get more separated just because of the algorithm and the way that all works could maybe be a reason why, but we don't see anything either. Like I don't see anything from Japan pop through or any Asian countries pop through either. So maybe that's part of it, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think also for the French, their community is so large that uh, if, if they do a 50 man GT or 80 man GT, they know they will sell out. So maybe the, that's the reason they don't really go to social media for me. I think if we'd have all the Dutch players like that are regular tournament players in one event, we'd probably have like 70 people, which is not that much uh, at all. Um, so if I want to do, let's say, a 100-man GT, I'm going to need to get some players from outside our community to come. Um, and they don't really need that. So that could also be a reason that they are just like, well, I organize GTs and I always sell out. So why would I... Yeah, that's fair. You know, go and... Because when I, when I noticed the stream for the French, for the Worlds... Like two and a half thousand yeah. people, and I'm like, yeah, where did that come from? Like, it's not like an official Games Workshop stream. It wasn't a 40k stream. It was a an AOS stream that didn't have much table coverage. And I'm like, how is there so many people tuned into this? Like, where is this all come from? So they must have a massive scene that we just don't even know about. Yes, it's wild. Yeah, for sure. Because I've heard a yeah, few times sure. on Rod's Rob's stream when he's spoken about the Blood Bowl in was it Spain or France or something like that, and they're like, is it 1,200 people or something like that? I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. wild. You'd never hear about that in, yeah. in tabletop wargaming in the English scene, I don't think. No, no, that's it's 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 strange. And yeah, in that way, I, I think they might be a little bit isolated in the sense that we don't know a lot about them. Uh, yeah, but it's it's insane uh, indeed. Like having like, uh, I, I can't imagine having like 100 50 person event blood bowl event yeah. right like i don't i literally don't know anyone personally like from my own community who plays no, blood neither. Bowl <laughs> at all yeah. i think some people have dabbled in and bought the starter set played one game and that's about it but i don't know anyone that besides when i spoke to um 
oh, he's not going to like this now. Wayne, Wayne Peters, with the, he was doing Bud Bowl. But outside of oh, Wayne, right. I've not spoken or heard of anyone that plays Bud Bowl a whole lot out of like the casual, maybe a beer on a Friday night having a casual game. Outside of that. Yeah, exactly. I've yeah. not heard of anyone playing competitively anyway. There's no scene in Australia for it, that's for sure. Yeah, it's insane. So yeah, it's really, uh, it's really interesting. But um, yeah, I think which is cool because like th- th- those are games like Kill Team, War Cry, Blood Bowl that I don't really interact with. I've played a game of Kill Team once or twice. Uh, I, I enjoyed it, but I feel with wargaming, for me personally, uh, I really have to focus on like one of these systems to get a grasp in it. And if I if I dabble around too much. Um, yeah, like Jack of all trades, master of yes. none, what they call it, I believe. Yeah, so that's really really applies to me, and especially in my position because I have to TO and really try to know my rules. If I dabble in too many <laughs> systems, I feel like I'm maybe going to, you know, like uh, mix it up or or not be as first as I want to be. What is your base game? Have you come from forty k background, or were you always being fantasy? What's sort of your main pool for the hobby? Uh, I actually started the hobby two and a half years ago only. Uh, and uh, with Age of Sigmar, uh, because when I was younger, I grew up playing uh, Magic Gathering, actually, when I was about 10 until I was like 22, uh, at a pretty decent, pretty high level uh, with the Grand Prix, etc. And when I visited some of the like uh, conventions where there were also Magic tournaments, I also saw like Warhammer. Uh, so it was always in the back of my mind. And I moved to a different city about four, four to five years ago. Uh, and... Yeah. At some point, I was like, "Yeah, I should like maybe try to dabble in some hobbies, get acquainted with new people." So uh, I, I looked at uh, Magic: The Gathering first, uh, but I thought, yeah, "I don't know if I want to do that again." Then I thought about, "Oh, what about maybe Warhammer?" Right? So I uh, went online, and uh, there was this local Facebook group, that had, like a war gaming enter local name Facebook group. Uh, and uh, I just put a note in saying, you know, if anyone wants to maybe like give me an intro game of Warhammer, uh, uh, fantasy, I thought it was still fantasy. <laughs> I didn't even know it was Age of Sigmar. Uh, please hit me up. And there was this guy who lived like 15 minutes from my house. And he's like, holy shit. I, I just started Warhammer. I, know, I don't know anyone who plays. So I would love to like maybe start this journey. So uh, I've looked up the rules a little bit. And let's try an intro game. I, I bought the starter box and I have two, two different factions, like 400 points. So we, we played that a couple times. And uh, I found out about Age of Sigmar and all the factions, etc. And that's how I rolled in. So about two and a half years ago uh, from my buddy uh, Tim. So shout out to Tim for introducing me. Um, yeah, and I, I like I got hooked right away. Actually, that's also my ADHD. Like I go hyper focus on something, and then uh, two and a half years years later, I'm organized worlds. So that's that's it's a wild timeline you but, got uh, there. When you said two and a half years, I'm like, geez, <laughs> from fresh beginnings, it's straight into like organizing the one of the biggest tournaments in the world. That's about. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, I don't know how that happened. Yeah, that's why. Well, we'll have to get onto that later, so we'll tease the fans and they can uh, sure. keep them sort of stuck onto the podcast. Like, what kept you playing in the hobby when you first got in? Was it playing, because you obviously played with cards a lot, was it playing with the miniatures that you found was a new experience, or what was the main pull to keep you in? Yeah, for me, it's really the gaming aspect. I, I'm a, like, I wouldn't say I'm a terrible painter, but like, I, I was happy when I found out about Slapchop, for example, because <laughs> yeah. that's like, for someone like me, that's that's a perfect way to get an army on the table. Uh, I also use a, a buddy of mine who's a commission painter who, who painted my Slaves to Darkness for, for most of it. Um, and I'm not really, like, I, I enjoy 
building some of the models sometimes, but I'm not really big on that either. So I'm really, really into the gaming aspect, um, uh, rules interactions, uh, some tricks you can do here and there. So, and, and the community here is just, it's just because it's pretty small. I think that also helps. Like I know, I think I know everyone by now from the, from the Dutch community, uh, which also is really nice because it's just familiar faces at every event and, uh, you know, chatting with everyone. So I think the community is also a big part of, of the reason to stay in the hobby, really. Seems to be the main theme. A lot of people get stuck into it and stay because they make a lot of friends yeah. and things like that. Like when I was yes. leaving the tournament yesterday, like there's, there's too many people to go up to now and say goodbye to that you end up pretty much <laughs> saying goodbye to your small little group and you have to ignore everyone there else. Otherwise, you're there for like half an hour saying, oh, I'll see you at the next one, give him a handshake or whatever else, or give him a hug and everything. And it's just, there's too many people now that year, when you're involved <laughs> for a few years, you just get to know everyone and it's just too much. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the that's the part of the thing about being a TO. It's hard to ignore that. Ignore oh, them yeah, bet. Because yeah. Uh, they're going to come up to you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you, you probably have it worse because people sort of had, inter had to interact with you in the past because you were TO, so they've got to buy tickets or come to you for rules or even to, when they started organizing the event, they've got to come to you for like lists and all that sort of stuff. So you've been a main focal point for them. So they already know your name and know you, you sort of quite well. So then for you to ignore them all would be quite painful. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I think so. Uh, which on the other hand, I enjoy, I enjoy the social interaction of it. So, uh, Having uh, having a person uh, join the first event, and then after the event, being all hyped up about be having their ha having had their first tournament, they start sending me lists. You know, like what do you think of this for my next event? What do you think of this? And yeah, like it's great to see uh, people get hyped um, from joining the hobby and joining the competitive scene. How long after playing? So you do you play many tournaments before you got into organizing your own tournament? Yeah, the perfect build-up actually, because so I, I started playing in the summer, so two and a half years ago in the summer, so that's like 2020 or something. I'm not sure, might be, but might be late 2019. But um, and we had like there was like, <clears throat> uh, well, it was in the middle of COVID, right? So uh, start of COVID, so we had like two GTs every year, one in uh, February and one in uh, September, and that's it, really. So um, from the Alliance Open guys before I joined. Um, and there was a local guy doing some one dayers here and there, but because of COVID, he kind of quit uh, or laid off for a while doing that. So um, me and my buddy Tim, who introduced me, went to a doubles tournament for the first time. It was our first event, uh, and we had a lot of fun. And I thought, you know, damn, I want to, I want to play more events, especially coming from Magic Gathering, where I play like two, three events every month um, um, in the past. So um i thought you know i want to do more events but yeah the only way to do more events is if someone organizes them uh, and then one of the alliance open guys actually left the uh, group because he wants to play more and uh, focus on his game a bit more and start to stop uh, organizing so uh they put out a uh, request for uh if, you know if someone wanted to maybe join them so i thought you know what let's just give it a try i'll just do one event um and then uh yeah i did uh, an event uh, which is called Bug called buckman's best uh, it was one day here locally here with a, in a local. Uh, it's actually like a swimming pool that like rents out like spaces, but they had actually like 500 
square meters or something. So it was pretty big and the tables were exactly the right size for Age of Sigmar. So I thought, you know what, let's just try an event over there and, uh, and we'll see. And I had like, uh, I had about 38 people. So I was like, oh, that's pretty nice. And everyone had a great time. And um, it was an event that was really encouraged to bring like, um, like a fun list and we also allowed uh, legends so people bring in chaos dwarves oh, or cool, Bretonia cool. or yeah. Uh, so yeah so just because that's something I, I really wanted to do and then some people said you know we we want to try for worlds for next year um is, is it possible for you guys to maybe also host some competitive one days so i thought uh yeah sure let's try so two months later i tried an event and we had 44 people uh, which was the biggest event we had so far because like 28 was like this normal number in the past. So uh, and that's how it really grew. And then I, I thought, okay, well, let's do a G team GG then because if you want to prep for Worlds, what's a better way than a team event? So two months later, again, in November, I did a, I did a team GT and that's how it grew and grew. And I, I, I really enjoy organizing the events, making the rules pack uh, and interacting with all these people. So uh, after doing those two events and the team GT and the Masters in the past uh, March, I, uh, I, I understood that one of the people from the world's team uh, quit which uh, and then they asked me the council asked me like hey we we saw what you're doing with alliance open and we heard a lot of great stories about the masters past uh, february or march uh would you like to join the team so i said yeah i'm not sure we like we, i just had a, a young daughter and i don't know i don't know so I, I held off a little bit and then like three weeks later they came back again <laughs> saying hey please we really need your help um and uh, so I, I I discussed this with uh, with the wife, and uh, she was like, "Yeah, you know what? Let's maybe should just do it." So I said, "Sure, but I'll only do the team event. I don't want to do the full five days because it's just going to be too much too time too much time away." Uh, so I did that, and it was really fun, um, a lot of fun. Uh, discovered some things within the uh, world's organization that could be improved. So we luckily we had the time to do so. Uh, and a lot of things still need to get be improved massively yet, but one step at a time. And now um, uh, what then happened was uh, they actually made me head ref after the event, um, which uh, which was a big honor, obviously. And uh, so I thought, you know, the build, we, we went from 28 people to about 50 people. Um, there's a new world's bit coming up. I'm just going to try and, and do a bit for it, you know? Uh, but if I'm going to do this, I want to do it uh, the right way. So I'm not going to uh, cut back on anything. I'm I want to have the best venue, the best prizes, the best tables, the best terrain. So it's going to cost a lot of money for the teams. Uh, but that's the only way I want to do it. Like, I don't want to, like, cram 50 people or 200 people in, like, a gym uh, with... Uh, with which not, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not the way I, wa I wanted to do it. So I made the bid and I, I actually won, uh, like surprisingly, because I was, I think, three times more expensive than the other bids for the teams. So for example, a, a team ticket for, for this country would be 600 and we would be 1700 uh, euros for the team, but it would include like all the lunch, etc. Everything was included except for your dinner. Um, you, you have to arrange that yourself, but... Um, I thought that's the only I want to do, like premium or nothing. And then if I if they don't vote for me, that's fine because we'll just go to a different country instead. And then we won the bid actually. So now, uh, and now suddenly <laughs> I'm the, the, not only the head judge of worlds but also the TO. <laughs>
So that was the build-up, really. Going back a little bit, that's wild that you had a two-month turnaround for two tournaments. Like, I'm yeah. trying to, on the down low, trying to organize and set up a, a doubles tournament. So if you listen to the podcast, it's exclusive. But to hear you try and line up two tournaments back-to-back and then it's like two-month gap, sort of not a whole lot of pre-planning because you've only got two months. That's pretty wild to have quite successful tournaments. How do you think your... What was your, like your main principle bit up behind being able to get that sort of set up and ready to go so quickly? Um, so when when I joined the team, I the first day uh, I joined the team, I said, "Look, I, I want to do Age of Sigmar events, but I want to do them right. So I want to let's I want to lay out all the terrain we have, make actually really good tables with uh, the same type of layout, make terrain maps uh, and stuff like that. Uh, I, I just really wanted to be organized well, and uh, yeah, a lot of the community told me that they really appreciated that. Uh, having the feeling that everything was well organized, they could just come in, uh, lunch is included in all our events as well. So they can just come in, have a good, great time, lunch is included. Um, um, yeah, so I think that really helped. So we, we just made a good for, for second first impression, so to speak, or I made a good first impression with the Alliance Open guys uh, uh, joining, joining up with them. And then uh, later in the year, I also uh, got uh, Jeffrey Nyoff, uh, Mizora, he's on Twitter, uh, and asked him to join me in organizing the events. And uh, he, he was thinking about it exactly the same way I did, like he wants to do a really nice, well job. And we, won't, we will never be the cheapest tickets you can find. Uh, so it might not be for everyone. Well, we understand that as well. But uh, it's like 35 euros for one day or something like that with lunch included, which is not the cheapest. But uh, yeah, everyone knows what they can expect by now. So uh, I think that was, I think we just made a good impression on Bugmans. Everyone had a great time. The venue was really good, um, like very spacious, very high ceilings as well. So everyone, I think it just, it felt really nice. And then uh, because of COVID, everyone has, had just been playing at home. So I think that also really helped, of course, selling, selling out because everyone was like desperate to come, come out and play events yeah, again. Fair enough. Yeah, because we we want to try and organize a premium event for our doubles tournament, and so trying to justify in general that because apparently, no, apparently tournaments over here cost roughly about sixty dollars, seventy dollars for a two dayer, which I think equates to about thirty thirty five euros for two days. So there's definitely a a massive price difference there. We don't include lunch in any of our tournaments because a lot of our tournaments are played at um, pubs and. Oh, right. To like convention centers where they the lunch doesn't really work out, so we don't have that involved. That's obviously an extra cost that we can't include. Um, but we want to try and set up a more premium event as well. So it's good to hear that yourself are able to set up a very premium event, and especially for the team's tournament, the top-of-the-line event, and people are all willing to come along and, and support your tournaments as well, which is nice to hear. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's also that like the community wanting to grow uh, and improve, so they're they're willing to pay the money to visit the event. For example, the Masters, uh, a ticket last year was uh, ninety two euros for the GT. So uh, that's which which uh, which I, I can honestly say will be the best lunch you've ever had <laughs> for two days. It's like an insane insane lunch buffet with like everything you ever wanted, but. Uh, but if we're going to do stuff like that, like all the terrain has to be fantastic, uh, mats have to be good, uh, the prices have to be great, uh, like everything organizational, 
organizationally it has to be really good because if people pay that amount of money and the food is good but the rest sucks they're going to feel cheated or the other way around so you do have to nail it uh, in that regard and i i think with the venue we, we were very lucky with the hotel which is next to the airport uh also for the same hotel where we organize worlds in so i think we got lucky with that as well um so uh yeah that's the prima thing you were talking about as well i think that that's just the uh, the way of gaming i like so i want to like give the experience to other people as well uh really do you have any experience outside of warhammer like organizing events or like that or is this your first forte into getting into it and organizing such large things well, in, not for like gaming. I I have I was a basketball player and coach for a long time, and also a basketball referee. Um, so I I had to run games or I organized uh, some tournaments here and there for basketball, which is like completely different, obviously, because there's no terrain. And you just have to make sure like the hall is open, you lower the baskets, and etc. You can go play and make sure like you only have to manage people, not really assets. Uh, so that was really different for me. Um, so that's the only experience. So not not really. Um, so, so the the main thing I was getting at there is the fact that you were able to get to this sort of level with organizing tournaments and stuff like that. Anyone out there can go and organize a tournament, and it just needs to get their feet in and get going. Because when I was doing the tournament series, yes. a lot of people that their first tournament was just getting out there and and going from there. So that's why when I was, I've been talking about it every now and then on my podcast that we don't have many doubles tournaments here. So I was approached by mm-hmm. Chris, one of my other guests who I've had on, who was also part of Sydney Slaughter. Uh, we're teaming up yeah. to organize a doubles tournament because we don't get that in Australia. We have no doubles tournaments, and the only mm-hmm. teams tournament we have was the one that we just had last weekend. Um, so we don't get to experience a whole lot of that. So to be able to put things out there in the Australian scene. I have no experience in organizing tournaments, but Chris does, so he's a bit more, a bit of my leaning post, which makes it easier for me. But it just goes to show that once you get out there and give it a go, you can be very successful in organizing tournaments for your local scenes. Yes, yes, for sure. And it, it is a hassle. Like people always, is it a hassle? Yes, it is. But like when the first round starts and also when the last round is ended and the award ceremony is done, you feel such a, like a great feeling, like a bit of hype that, you know, okay, we pulled this off. Everyone's, everyone's first game has started. They're all here. You know, we have Theo and Jackson walking over there and uh, Benjamin Salvo is walking over there. Like they, they came to my event, right? I set something up and they were like, yeah, yeah, well, let's join Tom in his event. So that's, it's, it's, it's a great feeling. Uh, but what's like for you stepping in new, what, what, were there things that, were, that you thought like, oh, I, I didn't even know this was a part of it or stuff that like surprised you? Uh, we're still setting up the venue. So we're trying to set up, because a lot of tournaments over here are played in pubs um, and sort of yeah. smaller venues. We're sort of aiming for a more premium, maybe a hotel lobby room set up or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we still trying to find a nice venue that's close to public transport because the way our city and – because we've got two cities quite close to each other – the setup for public transport is pretty terrible, so we want to try and make it as close yeah. as possible. I don't think getting anywhere near the airport's feasible, but in other aspects, we're trying to get somewhere close that's easy to access. So and then trying to find the right budget because people obviously don't know anything about Warhammer. They're not prepared to have some two yeah. lucky show up and offer their room and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so trying to get that sorted. But we've just sort of been nailing down that aspect as well as well, we've got free time is organizing the other end, which is like how do teams work, how do doubles work, mm-hmm. and pairings and all that sort of stuff. So 
we still got uh, quite a few months to go. It's still in its early stages, but because I'm putting it out there now, it keeps us honest and keeps us organized onto it yeah. all. So if you're listening, Chris, <laughs> we've got to get on with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doubles is such a, like, and teams as well. They're such cool formats because everything that I love about the hobby, like social interactions, yeah, you multiply it with uh, type, those types of events. Yes, that, that's what we're going for because it feels like, we hear about it all the time. Oh, I had tons of fun at the doubles event because me and my mate played together all day and whatever else. You don't get that in a singles event. You go off, you play one game, you you play with whoever you're playing with for three hours and then you go off to your next one. Whereas it's also new person friendly because if you don't feel confident enough to join the scene, yeah. you bring a mate along. You two are playing together all day. You get to make decisions together. So you get to bounce your ideas and when you're commanding your army, it's not just your solo decision that let you down or gave you the win. You're sort of doing it as a collaborative yep. effort. Uh, so we thought there'd be a nice experience for people, especially if they're new to the hobby as well. Yeah, that's how I started. That's how I, like, my first event was doubles with my mate who never played an event as well. We've only, we only played each other <laughs> up until that point, yep. right? So, uh, yeah, that was, that's a great, great experience, uh, I feel. And, uh, like, also the, the vibe is more laid back. Uh, so, uh, those types of events like I, I wouldn't recommend going having your first event be like a singles GT uh, as a player because um, like you could do well I, I think uh, there's a lot, lots of examples of people doing well but um, yeah like you said you might feel a bit more isolated or it's it's, it's, it's a lot coming at you and if it's a doubles uh, event or a team event maybe even uh, maybe that would change a bit uh, a bit of the a bit of the feeling. I think it's a much better way to get introduced in tournament Warhammer. Is it going to be a GT or? Uh, we're not sure yet. We want to maybe like make it a GT. Um, but the one issue we find is when it's not a single GT, it's not going towards master's points. Mm. So you feel less people want to uh, come and travel yeah, yeah. because our scene is so spread out. Yeah. There's quite big clumps of people in different cities. So trying to like, get them to come up even though it's not a GT and not going towards Masters, but still feel like they want to come up and play in the tournament is our what, what our biggest hurdle we sort of felt was. But if we can encourage people to come up and feel it's in a welcoming space, you might not need to get all the competitive people that want to fly and travel. You can get all the locals that aren't wanting yes. to go to these singles tournaments where they feel like it's a lot more of a serious thing. This is more of a laugh, but it still can be competitive at the top end. Uh, and be more casual through the middle and the bottom end if, if people want it to be that way. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you have to, like, is it like a, a, with doubles, you mean like two players versus yes. two players at one yes, table, yeah, right? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So, and you also really have to think about what am I going to allow or not allow? That's how, our how biggest am I going dilemma. To command yeah. points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, if you want, but I can send you the pack. Oh, that'd be beautiful if you could uh, do that. Yeah. Well, we've yet to yeah, reach no out to people because. There's maybe been one in New Zealand and obviously a lot more in Europe that we want to try and reach out to and get information from for their experiences so we don't have to go through the same troubles. But getting that pack will probably make it so much easier for us already because we're having to look through, oh, how, what's the point limit we want? What monsters and things can we allow in there that yeah. don't break the game too much? And then because it's the first time, no doubt something will sneak through break the game instantly and then they're at the top of the end of the table because they found that little thing. Yes. <laughs> the first the first doubles we did was uh, exactly like that. We like currently for Age of Sigmar, I don't we don't allow like buffing each other's units um, because we did that the first uh, time and uh, yeah, people bring bring some find some wonky stuff going around. 
So, uh, so yeah, definitely look out for that. But I'll send you the pack and you can see and you can take out whatever you oh, want. Ah, beautiful. Uh, that help us heaps for sure. To use in your pack. Awesome. No problem. So with your tournaments and being a player and stuff, do you find that you still go to a lot of tournaments? Obviously, you went to one last weekend, but do you go? did you go to many beforehand while being a TO or have you mainly focused on being a TO? I think before I, I became a TO, I visited three GTs, which were like the, the two a year just Dutch GTs that I spoke about earlier. So I, I visited one in March, then September, and then March again, and then I became a TO myself. Uh, I actually came close to quitting that March before becoming a okay. TO because um, my when I first started, I picked Beasts of Chaos because <laughs> I really like the mythology. And um, <clears throat> they were like completely shit, yes, right, yep. at that time. So, but I, my, my buddy played Ogres, but like the Gutbuster side. So both of us would really have like really close games, not knowing both our armies were so terrible, right? So, and at the doubles, we also didn't know because we just thought, you know, we were new. Uh, so yeah, our, our asses are being handed to us. We, that, it makes sense, right? So then I played the, the March GT, um, which was singles. And I went, I think one, one, three, one, one win, one draw, and three losses with the Beast of Chaos. And I got like tabled every game. And I really felt like heartbroken because I was like, oh, is this game only about DPS? Uh, this is not really what I thought it would be. And everyone was min-maxing in my experience. Like, that's how I looked at things. Uh, so I was like, mm, maybe maybe it's not like I want to play Warhammer, but maybe the competitive scene is not for me uh, this way. And then... Benjamin Safa actually won that event with this Bone Splitters army, <laughs> and he could, he he almost didn't kill like a single model in some games. He just uh, he had like a no retreat. I can pile this way. You cannot retreat, etc. Shenanigans, uh, yes, yep. Right. So, and I watched that finals back because because I was playing myself. I didn't really get to see his army function. And then I watched the uh, GT finals back and the the uh, semifinals back, which he he was on stream for both at our, at the event. And I was like, oh wait, there are more ways to actually play this game and win this game. It's not just putting all the damage dealers you can find into one list and then try to like ram your opponent off the board. So um, I decided to, to stick to it. So like that was my third event. And then I started TOing. And then when I started TOing, I, I haven't played a lot of events myself because I think I organize now like 70% of the events in, in this community are organized by me. So when Jeff, Jeffrey came on board, I was really happy because now we can just like he plays this event and I can play this event and then he can play this event. And that's how we try to uh, do it. But uh, the last time I played a GT uh, was, a, was a while ago because uh, for the GTs, Jeffrey and me are kind of on the same page. We're like, yeah, if it's a GT and we have international players coming, we should just both be on the floor. We shouldn't be playing. Um, so uh, it's been a while. I'm probably visiting the, the German team championship in March. Um, so that will be my first GT in about like 18 months, I think, something like that, which would be, which I think is going to be really, which is a team GT. So it's like, I'm really excited for that. And, uh, but yeah, honestly, uh, it's, it's been low. And then sometimes a one day here and there are organized by a different TO, like uh, this weekend. And, uh, in, I did one in August. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to play more. But um, the problem is, I'm the one hosting the events I want to play at. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> right? So <laughs> that's that's kind of tricky. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I'm sure that the TO that play, uh, organizes the team tournament is like very much enjoys the t uh, being the TO, but I'm sure he'd love to play in a team tournament himself. 
Like he's he's like yes. a, quite a big personality, very funny sort of guy. It's Gabe, um, and I'm sure he'd be so keen to play in a teams tournament, but no one organizes them anywhere in Australia, yeah. so he never gets right. to experience the fun that is a team tournament. He just gets to hear it secondhand. Yeah, that's exactly the uh, yeah the th- same for me. Mm-hmm. I did have a question from Owen, which sort of leads into what we're talking about here. Do you find that being a tier of like quite prestigious events has sort of opened your mind up as more of a player or do you find it's a bit harder to get like a competitive game going for yourself because you've got all these rules interactions all in your brain and things like that? Uh, good question. I think it's both. Uh, at Worlds and at our own GTs and uh, watching some people play and talking to a lot of players, I it really opened up my mind about some things. Like in the past, I didn't really think about unit roles, for example, um, and stuff like that. Uh, that and, and at Worlds, I saw some tricks and some people deploying or some people moving things a certain way that really helped me in my games. On the other hand, like we just discussed, because I'm too young so much, I don't get to play as much GTs as I'd like. Uh, and like one dayers are great and all. Don't get me wrong. I love a one day event, but it's not uh, like it's a different type of opponent that you get than at a, at a GT. Different type of experience, uh, less competitive as well. So uh, I would like to play more competitive games myself because I feel that even though I know a lot about many armies, uh, which really helped me uh, as a player, I, I do need to get more into the. I need to get the reps in, right? Yes, like yeah. you hear a lot of people talk about get the reps in, uh, and like the tournament reps. Like I get a lot of games, but not a lot of tournament reps, and I think I should get more of those. So it's I, I think it's both. It's it's hard, but also easier. It just occurred to me as well because you're the TO, you sort of walking around the tables. You get to experience a lot of different play styles that most people don't see, unless you're sort of visiting a tournament just to hang out with some friends. Because generally you're playing this, so the only play styles you get to see are the opponents you're versing but then you don't really get to see their play style because you're too focused on your half of it you don't get to see mm-hmm. all their their tricks and minutia from behind their side of the table so as a TO you probably get to experience a lot more of this overview and you get to see two people playing against each other rather than you and your opponent playing each other do you find that sort of led into it as yeah. well being a, a different mindset Yes, for sure. I think so. And I have a lot of people that come up to me after the game and like talk about some stuff. And then I pick up some things here and there. And the last Masters uh, event, like we call it, it's not like Masters like you do. It's not like a like a championship. It's just we call it the Masters because it's like our biggest premium singles event. Oh, so okay. We, right, yeah. We named it that. So that's why we have the international people coming in. But uh, at that event, I actually... Um, the guy we normally ask to commentate, he wasn't available. So I jumped on stream to commentate for that weekend event myself. And that also really helped because you have like a bird's eye view, like right from above the table. And I, I, I had to, I had like many people come on the stream and you, you see what's happening. And it's really interesting, really. I think uh, uh, like Rob uh, probably has the same thing. You really learn a lot about how people move and what moves they make, uh, how their target priority goes. Uh, I got to see, for example, Stephen Follows. He played the Legion of the First Prince, which is a very hard army to pilot, pilot well. Uh, and yeah, he played it like to perfection in the games on stream and like really gave me some insights on, on uh, sequencing some stuff, uh, setting up for your next turn, uh, things like that. So that also really helped me. But as a TO as well, like I have to, I get all of the interactions. Pe- people email me a lot of questions. I get about, I think I get about... Um, 12 to 18 questions sent in per day. <laughs> wow, okay. Like, through 
Twitter, Facebook, WhatsApp, uh, uh, worlds in the worlds uh, Discord group, uh, etc. So uh, I, I honestly I don't I sometimes just reply. Look, I'm going to put this in the FAQ and get back to you later because it's too much. Uh, last worlds we had uh, three weeks before the event uh, when the list came out. All the captains waited for a lot of their questions until after the list were uh, deadline passed because they didn't want to. Uh, let other captains know what they were working <laughs> on, right? Yep. So we got 92 questions uh, to do in three weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. To answer. So, uh, but that does mean that I get to see a lot of the interactions that they are looking at and they are working on uh, as a team, which is also very interesting. Uh, you can see some of the broken stuff come up in the in the rules questions or the direction of questions they're asking. Uh, like, uh, does this and this interact like this? And I, I can see, ah, I see what you, what you mean. For example, the uh, Stormcast list with the slam, with the comets, with the comet now. I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen it uh, already. I've heard about but, it. Uh, Is this the meme one you're talking about where everyone was playing or, or, or yeah. like the multiple of... Uh, uh, bubble mortal wounds everywhere and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They call it a meme list, but secretly it's really good, yeah. actually. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's really good. Like they execute it now. I think uh, they, I think the comet cannot can no longer be cast by a slam because oh, they changed it okay. to Stormcast Eternals only. But like I got that question in like three months ago when the list wasn't really prevalent yet because of our team tournament. So the Danish team actually sent it in. Like, are you going to allow this? And so I looked at it and it's like, yes. Yeah, it technically it works and you know stuff like that really opens your mind up to what they're looking at because this combination has been possible since the stormcast book came out and i haven't seen it i hadn't seen it yet and then three months ago suddenly someone found it and then uh so that really uh, helps you as well because you get to see a lot of things early in the process yeah yeah we had one of the teams tournament which benefited me in the end because I picked up the army before I even realized this question was going about, which was the, the bone splitters where you get the multiple pregame move on the same unit. Uh, so it's been FAQ'd now, but because the tournament uh, list came in before the, that FAQ came out, it was still allowed. So a lot of the, oh, bone, yeah, yeah. obviously the bone splitters players abused it and everyone was questioning it, but it was in bold that this was allowed in the players pack for the tournament. So things like that that have come out and then are disallowed now, you get these one split like tournaments to play them at to, yeah. to reap their benefits before they're gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's how 40k playtesters used to feel, right? <laughs> so, uh, like the book came out, it would be broken for a month, and then uh, it would be nerfed uh, all the way down. Yeah, you, you've got to get in early before they nerf it. So you've got to like speed paint it and slap chop your army and get it in there. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's, that's fun. Yeah, actually, I, I already... I did not allow the uh, bone splitters move when uh, when it came to light because I I, I was like hundred and ten percent sure the intention <laughs> was not that that should work like that. So, but that's also part of toing. Some like you can do rules as written like hundred percent of the times, but you're going to get some wonky stuff. So sometimes you do have to make the call like, okay, this is definitely not intended like to work like this. So we're not going to allow it to work like that as well uh, because it's not healthy for the game. Uh, and people are not going to enjoy my event if I rule it like that. Yeah, and I suppose because it's your event, you have the final say anyway. So even if it everyone's been playing it written as this way, who cares? Like you have the final say on how it goes. And if you don't want that at your event, you can just say no. And if they want to be upset about it, well then they can just not come to your event. But you, if you set the expectation beforehand, before lists you and all that sort of stuff, 
well, then it doesn't matter to either person because it's it's been set in stone and, and it's what you're saying for your event as well. Yeah, yeah. And I do sometimes have to be careful that uh, people will make the um, distinction between my events and worlds because I could rule something uh, a certain way, but with the worlds, I have like a whole team of referees and we review the questions as a team. And if the if I I think it's it's A and the entire team think, thinks it's B, we might end up ruling B. So uh, I tell a lot of people like I might be ruling this this way, but don't don't assume it's going to be the same for worlds, uh, because even though I'm the same person, I'm working with a different team. So uh, I I like my opinion won't maybe change, but the outcome could change because I'm not the only one calling all the shots. Mm-hmm. Well, we might as well get into it then. How did because I've heard like worlds from multiple of players, but how was worlds for you as like the the head referee and all this sort of stuff? Were you that head referee for worlds? No, I was. I like when I came came to Prague, I was uh, just part of the referee team. We had uh, Carolus, uh, the Italian referee. He was the head ref. Uh, he did uh, he did a good job. Uh, we had a, like a really fun team, and uh, but it was really nice. Yeah, I really enjoyed the vibe. And um, people are all scared that it's like a, a win at all costs vibe at at, at Worlds. And uh, in a certain way, there is. But because everyone is the same mindset, there's oh, like there were no issues, and we had the chess clock, so everything was pretty fair. Like nobody could like say the other person stalling or um, slow playing or, you know, doing tricks or whatever. Uh, and they had four hour rounds. So uh, plenty, of time. Yeah, <laughs> plenty of time. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're a world's player and you can't finish your game in four hours, <laughs> you're at the, you're at the wrong event. Yes. That's right? a casual game amount of time. Like you have casual games yeah. with your mates where you yammer for two hours and you play a game for the other two. Right, and you still have to do the pairing, so maybe you lose like 10, 20 minutes uh, for the, after four hours. Uh, but it was an amazing experience for me. Um, it was uh, like I, there were some things about the venue that uh, could have been better, honestly. But um, like in the end, I think Adam and the, and the game ad team they, they did a great job setting it all up. And um, it was just that uh, I think some of the parts of the tournament you could really see that. Um, the roles were divided in such a way that some of the things that had to be done weren't really uh, appointed to anyone. So it all came down to who's going to pick it up <laughs> at last minute. Yeah. So it was a bit a bit um, confusing sometimes, and I think we're going to we really learn from that for for next year in, in the Netherlands. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it was an amazing experience. I got to meet a lot of people that I interacted with online, um, and you know, I actually had some people walk up to me to take a photo like <laughs> like i asked like darren watson like hey man you know we, we've spoken online let's grab a picture together and uh, and owen and, and you know rob and and like some people like actually came to me so it's was, it was pretty fun uh, <laughs> cool. but it was it was an amazing experience i think everyone had a had a, had a, had a great time um and i think we we did uh a good job as, as well as we could have with the uh, with the amount of time we had to prep with the team switching up so so much last minute the referee team i mean um so yeah it was it was amazing and uh like for in the netherlands if, if people want to just like come and visit the event they're welcome to you can just walk around and, and like have a taste of the vibe because in the end you know it's only going to be eight to ten people from every country there so there's a lot of po- big part of the for example the dutch or belgium or german community would which are like an hour and a half away. 
uh, that won't be able to attend because they're not selected in the team, but they can still like come over and taste the vibe. And I would really recommend it because it really gets your hobby juices going, uh, walking around there, seeing oh, like all the all the people you know from online, from from uh, like content creators like yourself interviewing them and uh, or being on stream for events that you've watched in the past, and then they're they're playing over there. You can like watch their games, um, and uh, yeah, it's re it's really fun. Just uh, like the the ultimate Warhammer Fest, really. Yeah. I was definitely um because we enjoyed the stream, so we got to sort of experience it through the screen. Obviously, being at a tournament, the whole vibe is completely different to watching. Yeah. It. So it'd be an amazing experience. It's just Australia, New Zealand. We're so far away, we couldn't just come over for a casual <laughs> walk. We'd have to plan it as a whole trip and everything else. Yes. Um, but it looks like an amazing experience, especially with like the whole stream set up, and then all the tables and the pairings, and then the whole thing is very eye-opening to see as an event. Did you find being a part of the team that there was many struggles that you guys had to overcome during the tournament? Uh, during the tournament, that's a good one. We, uh, I, I don't want to go into much into that's some fair. of the like <laughs> uh, things that we had to rule or some of the things that happened. Uh, not that it's like very bad, but I don't want to like mention names or teams. Or whatever and put them in a bad daylight but we had some issues here and there where uh we had to make some some calls um some people we had like maybe once or twice we had a person that forgot to set their clock um for and they they played an entire turn um they found out their their opponent played on their turn on their time almost like half a turn oh, okay. yeah. stuff like that but actually all the all the times we had issues like that the opponent was like yeah you know he's right so uh let's fix that right right now like nobody was giving us a hard time uh at all and we uh we had some some teams that uh, forgot their chess clocks stuff like that so suddenly we had to like find some chess clocks somewhere um and uh yeah so i think overall uh with all the with the types of like games that were being played, like on the edge, very competitive. Actually, I think we 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 couldn't complain as a ref team. We we had a pretty pretty good weekend, uh, and I think it was. Le I got less. Uh, I got less. Um, um, how can I say that? Like challenging situations that I might have expected beforehand. It seems like because the whole environment and the setup for it is to be hyper competitive. Everything's all been set beforehand. All the questions have been asked and answered, and everyone knows what they're there for. And all the like the chess clocks, they know that they need to play on the time. So then, obviously, if an issue arises, everyone's all prepared for it and things like that. So it seems well organized from our end to, to see it all set up and displayed and things like that. It seemed quite well done. So I'm sure when I spoke to some of the people that played for Team Australia, they all love the whole concept and the whole setup and ideas behind it all. And they didn't have any issues with it, so it's nice to sort of hear from both sides that it was a wonderful event to hear. Because especially because this is the first time it's run under the W. It's not run under WTC. It's just a world's event. Yeah, yeah, it's like a separate. A lot of learning curves as well to make, as you'd said earlier. Mistakes are going to be made because that's a whole fresh new team, fresh new setup, and things like that. So obviously, you're going to learn and apply those things to the next one. What sort of key things do you think you'd be applying to the next tournament that would? benefit for from the last one like next world you mean yes next world yeah yeah so um first when i came into the team i i asked the referee team and also the or not the referee team sorry the council uh, like which one of you have organized events in the past <clears throat> and no none, none of them did 
So uh, at that moment, I, I knew that all the things that I learned the year before, uh, that those were all the things we're probably going to uh, have to tackle again this time. So um, I think that's, that was great for me because then I could just like, okay, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And then, like all those things were, were being handled now. Um, so what are things that we really want to improve for this year? It's um, some of the organizational things behind the list checking and the FAQ and, and stuff like that. Because we got so many questions in last minute, uh, we also got two or three of them wrong. We realized they were wrong. And then we told the captains, look, we, we ruled this. But after reviewing it, we were wrong. And so we're going to change the ruling to this. And then we people got upset because in their opinion, you know, oh, yeah, no, but we prepared now for you guys to rule it like this and et cetera, et cetera. So I want to avoid situations like that because it's just impossible for us because, like, we don't get paid or anything. People forget that it's all voluntar voluntarily. So it's all volunteer work. So uh, having to, in your personal time, answer 92 questions in, like, two and a half to three weeks that are, like, really intricate uh, interactions that you really, really have to look up, and and you know because they're being asked by those types of players, it's yep. going to really impact what you're ruling. So uh, we have to improve some things like that. So maybe we have to make say that the um, the FEQ is going to be much earlier than the list, or maybe we have to do it much. Uh, we have to do it after the list deadline, just so people don't can't really count on us or can't like put the. Um, 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 put it, put the weight on our shoulders of like, well, we wrote this list because you said this, and now you're you're changing your mind. Uh, so we have to like that's the that are things that we really have to improve. I think, um, we can improve, and I think we've already like discussed that with the team, with the council, so that should be fine. And last year we had uh, teams checking other teams' lists, so we got all the lists in, and then for example, Australia, we said, okay, you have to check Ireland and uh, I don't know uh, Germany. Uh, and these are the things you have to check for. And and it happened, but not all of the teams were um, checking th just as th thoroughly as the other teams. So I think for next year, the ref team is just going to check all the team lists and we're going to send the singles lists to all the captains and be like, you know, check these um, because that might be a bit easier and it will also impact the main event, which I feel the team event is. It is the main event. It will impact it less. And then uh, the checks will all be done in the same way, uh, quality-wise, uh, and we can reformat whatever we, we need to reformat. Uh, hopefully, nothing. World's captains. I'm talking to you guys. Don't don't use the Warhammer app. Okay, thank you. Uh, or, <laughs> or, or 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 Battlescribe. Um, and uh, so that that are things. So it's mostly FAQs, uh, dates, uh, getting the information to all the captains. Uh, that those are things we can improve. Uh, for example, they did all the announcements in Discord, uh, which is okay, but I don't think like, like Discord is a big platform, but not everyone has Discord or uses Discord or even knows how to use Discord. So I feel like some of the announcement or information should just be done with an email to all the captains. Uh, yes. Because we had we had captains who were like, yeah, I, I don't use Discord. I made Discord just for worlds, but I'm not I'm not on here every day. Uh, so things like that we can really I think improve as a, as a team oh, it, it's good that they're all minor things anyway things that don't impact overall a whole lot and things that are so easy to adjust for next time and that just comes with the learning of the tournament it's not like a yeah, a fatal flaw somewhere it's all just basic stuff that just required previous experience to know where the issues would be 
and it just seems like sort of more surface level things than anything deeper, which is nice to hear about. Yeah, the only major part that was really effed up was that um, the before I joined, the captains got a vote. For, so for people who don't know, Worlds is a team event, eight-player teams. Every team has a captain, and they all come from uh, from a different country. And um, uh, some of the decisions that are being made are being made through voting. So the captains can do a vote, uh, and the majority gets their way. Um, they did the same for the pairing system and software last year. So they decided that, you know, here's, here's some options and the captains can decide what we're going to use. What people didn't realize is that once the event starts, everyone on the council is also a captain. So they're not, we, like, they're no help during the event. Like they are, like they try, will try their best, but they're playing. So I, I can't like really go to them and ask them to, to help me with anything. So once the event starts, it's just a ref team. Uh, and we're the ones who are going to have to work with the software. So they did the captain's voting and they all voted on BCP, which was fine. But no one in the ref team has had ever used BCP. Uh, so uh, like a couple of weeks before the event, I asked council, like, okay, did you ask BCP for help? Are we going to run a test event, etc.? And nobody really thought of that. And then... Um, the week before the event, I asked again, and there's, they said, no, someone from BCP is actually going to be present. So I was like, oh, well, then it's all going to be fine because then they can just run it <laughs> themselves. Well, that turned out to be one of the players from the US team who was kind of involved with BCP, but he was playing. Yeah, okay. So, so the day before the event, they tried to set BCP up and it crashed. And I don't know if BCP actually crashed or it was a user error because I wasn't there yet because I was only there for the team event. So they called me Wednesday morning. I was at work. <laughs> and they said, hey, man, we're, we're, the singles event is on in 20 minutes, but BCP crashed. And I, and I, I said, okay, but uh, sure. What, what do you want me to do? Yeah, we don't have software now. So I said, okay, well, we, we have our own software called PunPun that we programmed ourselves for our own events. And um, so I said, you know what? Send me the player lists and the pairings for round one that you already made. And so I recreated the event in PunPun with the phone like on my shoulder, calling one of my colleagues who, who programmed PunPun because we had to switch some things around for the Worlds pack. So in the end, we could put run. The, I ran the singles event <laughs> from the Netherlands for for, <laughs> for Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, you know, making new pairing. Is the round ended? The round ended. Okay, okay. Let me process scores. <laughs> That's so Make good. a new pairing. Yeah. So that was terrible. Uh, and then, but the problem with Pun Pun was we only had it programmed for four person teams, and it was eight person teams. Oh, so no. I couldn't use it for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We we re, we are going to reprogram it for Worlds now. But yeah, I couldn't do that anymore in that short time span. So then we had to, I arrived on uh, Thursday uh, afternoon, r running the rest of the event from my phone in the plane and stuff like that. Like, I think nobody noticed, like organizationally, nobody noticed from the players. They could just like, they could check, it, check their standings, check the pairings, etc. So all was fine, but uh, it was a total uh, cluster F, so to, so to speak. <laughs> so I came in Thursday afternoon and I said, okay, but guys, we still don't have a system for tomorrow, like the main event. Uh, so we found a tourney keeper, which the French uh, apparently use a lot. Uh, and then we used that for the pairings. And I just made like a big Excel sheet with like formulas, et cetera, where, where we could just input the results. And we made result slips 
So we could just hand out the result slips, get them back, get them all in the Excel sheet, and then use Tourney Keeper to make the pairings, etc., stuff like that, and have a ranking system. So like that's big. That's also a part that we really need to improve. But this thing I have in my own hands because I can now use PunPun, so that should not be an issue anymore. But yeah, that was like oh major stress. Like and yeah. this was my first day there. Like I flew in from from the Netherlands to Prague, walked in, then I had to tackle that issue. Um, yeah, that was hectic. Luckily, you're an engineer and were able to have your own tournament software sitting there to be used, and you yeah. knew how to write out enough Excel formulas to use that. If it wasn't, yeah, I got you, help with that with the Excel with the Excel sheet. I got some help because my colleague Jeffrey, who's my co-TO, he's playing for the Dutch team there, so he could help me a little bit here and there. Like I needed some information on site for the singles event, which he was also playing in in Prague. So he like sometimes he would walk away from his table uh, to <laughs> to like to table bosses and like okay, well, uh, Tom needs this this information. Okay, I'm gonna go play play my game. And then ran back to his game, play the rest of his game. So yeah. <laughs> that's wild if it was anyone else it probably sound like it would have fallen apart but luckily you had enough software from your own the end. time available yeah, yeah. so uh like in the that's end they wild. probably could have maybe used tto but like setting all that up uh would have been like a big chore especially because people on, on site also still have to make all the rulings they have to be on the floor and then having to set up all the software so i, I was lucky that i was in the situation that i could uh, could set it up for them uh, remotely uh, and but that should be tackled for worlds now because we're just going to reprogram it to eight man teams and we'll be fine. Uh, and I'm still going to use the result slips actually because I really like that. Because then, if there was an issue anywhere, I could just grab the result slip, go to both captains, and say, Look, I think one of these is wrong. You both signed it. Which one of you filled in the wrong score? And we could, we, we would have like, uh, we could backpedal everything, uh, which was really nice. So, I, I think I'm keeping that in. It's also good for the stats for Rob. Because uh, they could get every every battle plan, every army, every player, uh, they would have all the results. So that, that could be handy as well. Uh, but yeah, that was that was something else. I think paper slips are definitely nice because it allows you to just instantly double check against yes. the actual digital slip in itself. Because we, when we had um, Nicole run Goldcon, she was running some custom software and she had the paper slips and she had to input it all herself because that's the way the software was set up. They didn't have a in-app ability to set it up that way, um, so she had the dilemma of having to manually pull it on herself. But there, there was any errors, she can refer back to the actual yes. paperwork. And then there was an error one player found out that he would actually lost instead of won. Was able to go back and look at his paper slip and see that he'd edited his score up wrong, and then pass that off to be digitally edited for the loss, right. which you couldn't do at all if it was all digital. Because we had issues no. last weekend with the um, teams tournament because we're all trying to input our results for 20 or so teams. Everyone's trying to get in there and input the results. So we overloaded the system like right. usual. Uh, it was down under pairings and we had to input everything ourselves. It was cross-checked with the other captain. But being able to write it all on paper and just have that confirmed in physical format would be a lot easier i think in those yeah. aspects especially for a ease of being able to fill it out you can fill it out in two seconds rather than having to spend 10 minutes trying to input all the information you needed digitally when everyone else is trying to do the same thing yeah so for pun pun the captains can just end put in the final score of the team so for example uh, i don't know like 80 to 40 
something like that, uh, or 8080 it will be, uh, they can just input it and then they both have their own unique pin that they get before the event and they can both verify the score and then they also fill in the slip, which has all the individual games and they have to sign that as well. So at the end of the day, if someone comes to me and said, hey, round one went wrong, I should have won that game, I, could, I can say, look, you confirmed digitally, you confirmed on paper, like what else do you want me to do? Uh, <laughs> and then I'd have smooth sailing because they won't make that mistake again. Uh, like I, it didn't happen. Like we had some players like run up. They're like, I just, I give me back my score slip. Something is wrong, but nothing like uh, like a round or two later. Luckily, uh, but like it's just a great backup system, and it makes and it and it makes people verify like sign it. And if you sign it and then it's wrong, I can like help. That. I can uh, keep you accountable for it. It sounds like a definitely a much better setup and system going forward for yourself as well. All yeah. this hassling in general for yourself, especially when you've yes. got to do it at work and on a flight and everything else and then rush in <laughs> yeah. and, and write all these formulas and everything. It just seems like a pain in the neck, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I came into the event pretty stressed. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I, I walked in and the first thing they also said to me is like, uh, oh, yeah, uh, just so you know, the heating broke. Uh, so we have uh, like 200 odd people in this room with no, with no, uh, oh, sorry, the air conditioning broke. So we don't, have, we have 200 people in this room, middle of summer, and there's no air conditioning. So, like, my first day were hectic. They fixed it on the Friday afternoon or Saturday morning or something. I'm not really sure. Uh, and what I did was when everyone was gone, I, I had to set up all the tables again. So, I, that's also something people don't realize. Um, and uh, the worst part about being a TO is people just, assume that uh, some we are getting paid or something uh, but we're not so everyone left at the round was from one to seven uh one no two to six sorry two to six and then everyone left to go have lunch and or dinner sorry and then uh, until 11 at night we were still setting up all the tables for the next round in the morning uh and then so what i did was close all the doors in the venue keep the air conditioning on for what it's worth because it was barely working and close all the doors. And then and in the morning, everyone walked in and the room was cool, but I knew it would only be like for an hour because, you know, once everyone started playing, but then luckily it got fixed. So that was really, really, really good. But yeah, it was a stressful first day. Like the Friday was really stressful. Also a lot of captains, you find out what captains really prepared well and what prepared not so well, who prepared not so well for the event, uh, having some questions asked about, you know, how, so uh, I, I, didn't the pairing work like this? No, like the packs have been out for four months. <laughs> how can you be asking me this question, right? So uh, that's, that's the day one was really hectic and then day two and three were like really, really smooth. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a great event. Sorry, I'm rambling on. Uh, it's all good. It happens at most tournaments. Um, one of our matchups, we use battle tomes. Yeah. Uh, like I, I organized nice printout sheets where you could read with a big piece of paper what the list was. It was in a um, a plastic sleeve so it wouldn't get damaged. Um, and then the first round, it was us versus battle tomes. So they'd plonk down a battle tome and we'd plonk down our list. Uh, and then I think on the second day, it was napkins with an army laying on it, name on it. <laughs> Shout out to uh, the Friday night tryhards like Joel and Pete Atkinson. Love your napkins. Um, and then all the rest of the teams, we had a um, a team list set up. So everyone had their team set out and lists. And it was all sort of nicely set out. But it was quite small. So what people did was they printed them out on an A4 sheet of paper, ripped it up, 
uh, and that was their list. So every time they'd plonk it down, you've got to lean in real close because the writing was what size eight or something like that. It was tiny and we're like, oh, trying to work out what does this even say? It's so hard to read and it's like, and that was at a casual tournament. I couldn't imagine what at a professional tournament, like a, like a professional tournament sort of set up like Worlds, having dilemmas with pairings and things like that would be a nightmare. And they've been, had four months to prepare for it. Yeah, yeah. Like the pack had been out quite a while. Like the lists were out for about a month. So like I can understand the captain not knowing all the lists, but like a lot of the captains made like a pairing matrix so they knew what their opponents were playing. Uh, although they could view everything digitally. There's like a Google Drive where all the captains can just go in and see all the lists. So uh, I think, um, you know, the, we provided the information pretty clearly. The only thing we could have done faster was the terrain pack. Um, uh, like uh, I found out that uh, we were using terrain maps, but nobody told me. <laughs> so uh, I had to make some terrain maps, which uh, like I've made for my own events as well. So that wasn't really the issue. But then we'd have to, uh, because it was a voting system, the captains had to review it. Uh, and then we'd also had to write a terrain pack, like what's going to be impassable, what's going to be defensible, how are you going to handle a mark crusher standing on a fence that's like three inches high? Is he now unchargeable because my model cannot fit under him? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so and these are like win at all cost players. So I really have to do this this well. Because if if I don't do that well, you know, I'm going to get a very I'm going to have a very bad time because people are going to walk up to me and say he's saying his mark crusher is unchargeable and I'd walk to the table and he could just point to my own terrain map and said, Well, this line here says I can do this and now he cannot charge me, right? So I really have to really had to do think about that. But uh, and so that took me too much time. Uh, in the end, if I'm being self-critical, I, I, I took me too much time. I was struggling with it. And uh, so they got that like two weeks before the event. Uh, so some people, I think one of the Australian people as well, bringing maybe an Archeon, I'm sure. Yes, it's an Archeon because it will be impossible. Yeah. Obviously, you'd right. bring so, more of a bog down list than the Archeon flying around, not being able to land in places. Yeah. Exactly. And I think in the end, like like we made all the rocks impassable because I didn't want like wonky model syndrome anywhere, like having an Archeon like with blue tech, like sticked on the side of like one of the rocks. <laughs> I wanted to yeah. avoid that. And they'll do it too. Yes. They'll bring out that big glob of blue tech. Right. right. So yeah, they will do that. So I think in the end, a lot of like there was impassable on the tables, but it was not that bad. So I, I hope in hindsight that the, uh, the Australian player, I don't know who it was. Uh, was it? No, I believe it was Michael Clark. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. With the, with the cultist list, maybe I'm not sure. I think so. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I, I hope for him. I, I didn't hear anything about from him during the event or after the event. So I'm hoping that when he came to the event, he saw oh, it's like one or two per table. It's all fine. So I don't know how his experience was in the end. But like stuff like that, uh, we need to do. We need to do faster because uh, it could really impact your choice of of list. Like bringing a big base or not, like a big monster or. Uh, so yeah, that was a learning uh, experience for me. I think especially it affects probably not so much the people that live locally or a few hours flight, but I'd say it would probably impact us the most because you've got to set up a carry case that needs to go on a plane that needs to travel through three different planes, as well as you're already paying the five or six grand in flights and then you've got to buy more models or more armies or whatever else. So it definitely impacts us probably maybe the most. Yeah, that aspect. US, Canada, you um, guys, yeah. Yeah, everyone that's got to travel the, so far away that doesn't live in the European region, it's definitely more of a struggle for them. Especially if 
you are planning on taking an Archeon, which is a massive model. <laughs> and you don't have to if you don't have to take him with your army, well then that saves a lot of probably money and in, in storage, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like and even if even if the tables were all flat, like I personally wouldn't buy probably make the choice of bringing an Archeon on such a flight. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's yeah. mental. But um yeah, like like I said, we should have done that better. Uh it was just me coming in in I think March, with the event being in May. So I had like eight weeks to do the FAQ uh, list checks, terrain maps, terrain packs. Uh, you can say everything. It's fine. You can just say hectic. you need to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't everything. Like some of the things were, were taken care of. And then, uh, so, but like, yeah, it was, it was just too hectic. Uh, so we can do that better this time. And, um, and there were other things we could approve. Like, for example, uh, we got, uh, I don't think it was intentional. I just think they didn't really thought it through. But we came at the event and we got wrong. One ref shirt per person, but it's a five day it's a five day event. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. So, but it was so hot. It was so hot that every day when I came back to my room, I washed it in a bathtub and I could hang it to dry, and then the next day it would be dry. <laughs> so that was that was good fortune, but uh, good luck, some luck from our side. But yeah, that's some things that. So at first, when I won the bid, the first thing I said to the council to Jeremy, who is now the uh, <laughs> the um, head of the council i said look that's something you need to improve you can't get one ref shirt for the entire staff it's just insane i'm not going to have them walk around with one shirt so uh that's also something but that's like that's all easy fixes yeah that's right it's all just coming from basic experiences you'd know for the next tournament it's pretty yeah. much all it is yeah like even for our team's tournament we had print uh custom shirts made and i'm like we could nice. do one, but we'll probably might as well just do two. And that was only yeah. a two-day casual event. I couldn't imagine having to walk around and be quite active throughout the whole day for five days and have the one shirt. Probably the last thing you wanted to do is have to go back to your room, wash your shirt, hang it up, and get it dry for the next day is the last thing you feel like doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, especially because uh, like uh, Friday and Saturday, I got in my room at, at like 11 because I had to set up all the tables and then grab some dinner somewhere. And there, all the restaurants in the hotel were closed. Uh, so I really had to like either grab a taxi or, or phone some of one of the teams that were like downtown. Like, hey, can, can you bring me like some food? Can you bring some food back to the venue? And then the Dutch team really, really stepped in there and uh, really helped me get some food here and there. So it's like... That was a uh, that was that was that was a thing, yeah. So <laughs> we we can do better. We can do better. I do like uh, having like uh, for teams like have, having designed their shirts, etc. It's really cool. Yeah, that that definitely some awesome team shirts out there. Though. Yeah, the swapping going around. Yeah, that was so cool. Definitely <laughs> jealous of some of the shirts that people got in. That's for sure. What what was the ref shirts that you guys had? We never saw them on stream or anything like that. There was no photos. What were the ref shirts? Yeah, it was. Uh, they were purple, and uh, so it had the sponsor on the front, and just uh, Airways World's judge on the back. Um, so pretty basic, but that's fine. Um, I think uh, we were. I think having ref shirts was a really good call uh, to begin with because you just want to be visible on the floor. Uh, but like in like you said, you were walking around all day. I only was there for four days: so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, and Monday morning I got back, which well, was an early flight, and I had uh, I have to I had approximately uh, seventy one thousand steps in four days. Wow! Oh, yeah. uh, so uh, yeah, my yeah, I uh, 
So yes, there was a lot of walking around because I just wa I wanted the team to be on the floor and Corollas as well. We we wanted to be on the floor as much as possible because that's the way people ask questions, especially when they're on the clock. Did you keep your shirt or did you just trade it away? I uh, well, the funny thing is that uh, the last day I found uh, the bag where the shirt was in, and there was one more in my size, so he had like three extra made, I think. So I found that, and then uh, one of the Danish teams actually came up and he said, "Hey, man." weird question but do you want to swap shirts with one of the danish guys so i said you know what yeah let's do that and i just gave him like the extra shirt i found which was <laughs> unfortunately the final day so i could, could got to keep my own shirt and i got a danish shirt now oh nice so yep. uh yeah so i i'm hoping uh, to get some extra shirts maybe i can swap some shirts with the teams uh, next year but uh that depends on swapping you just need some swapping shirts that's all you need yeah <laughs> Yeah, really. So, uh, so, but that, what I did do in the end was uh, like the last day. I went to all the teams and like, look, I'm I'm gonna need one of the team dice because uh, yeah. I, I won't. Or I'm just leaving now. Final round. I think, yeah, I <laughs> so I got one one from all the teams. So oh, cool. uh, that's that that's, was a good souvenir. Yeah, that's what you want. That's for sure. Uh, a nice memento for yes. being able to judge and be involved with all of it. It's definitely nice to have those like, dice and shirts and stuff like that. Yeah, for example, yeah, for, for sure. Like, uh, I think uh, Adam and, uh, and Game Matt was a sponsor at the time, uh, like the co-host. Uh, they were, were very great, were very hospitable. Uh, but like in the end, I also wanted to bring something home uh, from the teams. So, uh, so for for the people who are listening that are going to Worlds next year, like make make it easy for me. Just just bring the dice when you walk <laughs> in the venue. Just drop one on my desk. That's fine. You need like a little <laughs> uh, box. It's like pay your tax here, and they can just I drop need it to in. Check. Yeah. yeah, yeah. put your name down, tick a box every time a team comes in. If you paid, hassle them out throughout the whole tournament. <laughs> yeah, I should do that. I've got some fan questions here for you, seeing as you're wrapping up after this Worlds talk. About the lovely scribble who I had on the other week wants to know, why are you so tall? <laughs> yeah. What height question. are you? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah. Are you using feet? I think I'm like six four for you guys. Like six okay. three, six four. We generally so, use uh, because everyone else uses feet. We use feet here yeah. as well as right. a primary measurement for height. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So 196 uh, centimeters or something. I think that should be. That sounds rough. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, but but it's mostly because uh, I have pretty broad shoulders or something. Like Corollas is just as tall as me. But he's like pretty thin, right? And I'm I'm, I'm like a bit bigger, so uh, so some some somehow people are calling me the mountain now, and even <laughs> though I'm just as tall as he is. So like yeah. that, that makes no sense. But so why why I am so tall? Yeah, my parents have decided to uh, make me this tall. Yeah, are your parents uh, quite tall as well? Yeah, yeah. Like Dutch people in general, I think we are the tallest. Uh, I think we are the tallest country in the world maybe denmark but i think we are um so uh yeah just it happened yeah yeah well there you go screw it blame the country <laughs> yeah it comes in handy too because uh like uh i get a lot less arguments i think because i'm maybe a bit bigger <laughs> yeah yeah bigger than the average person from other countries <laughs> that's for sure i think the average yeah. height in australia is like probably five 11 or something like that where most most guys are probably six foot ish like i'm six foot and most people that I'm friends with are roughly six feet as well. Um, so that's an average height for us. But yeah, six foot four is quite a lot larger than six feet, that's for sure. <laughs> Which also is leads on to as well another one from uh, Quinn. Uh, they ask, how do you like your struppluffles? Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> and then why have you been evading the questions for so long? 
Yeah. So do you know what a, a stroke waffle is? That's not that fish thing, is it? No, 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 no. It's okay. like um, oh, I, I, let, let me let let me see if there's like another translation for it because I think you should know. But if if I if I show it to you, uh, but it's like a piece of like like very thin waffle with like um, like I can I can show you here. It looks like this. Oh, it's like a waffle biscuit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, there's like syrup in between the two waffles. Oh, very nice. Yes, I'd love yeah, some of that. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, but like the weird thing is we have like. There's a there's a holiday coming up here which is called uh, Sinterklaas and it's like a bit like Santa really like Christmas but uh, yeah it's just a Dutch tradition uh, like with all the all the kids get like presents and stuff like that and um, one of the Dutch treats that are uh, very common during that holiday is something called uh, pepernoten and it's like um, yeah how can I explain that but they have them like in different flavors okay and uh, one of them is uh, stroopwafel. Which is uh, my my favorite. It, it translates to pepper nuts, but I don't think that would like. That doesn't sound correct. No. Spi oh, it's spice nuts is also a translation. Anyway, it's like spicy. It's like a, um, yeah, like a bit like um, like, a, like a salted like caramel. cinnamon like cinnamon. It's okay. like yeah, yeah, cinnamon like uh, type of, of of sweet, and they have them like in apple pie flavor or whatever you want and then there's one that's then stroke waffle flavor so that's my that's my favorite way my favorite one of my favorite treats so uh, and why have i been evading it not sure not sure to be honest i actually lost some weight so maybe that's why i'm evading the question yeah. but i don't want to i don't want to think about it yeah <laughs> uh, and then old town throwdown i don't know their actual name uh, Gareth, has your life improved since being introduced to them, and why is the answer yes? Lots. <laughs> okay, Gareth is the uh, TO for and uh, referee for LVO. Oh, okay, radio. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'd, I'd argue it's quite the opposite to Gareth, but uh, like you'll know what I'm talking about. It's like a little, little inside joke, but um, I know I don't know if you've heard, but like a couple months ago, me and some of the uh, rules lawyers tos came together and we created like this discord group and we called ourselves the rules panel and we, we were just like discussing rules that we got and questions that we got so we could have like an extensive faq that we could use it at all our all our yeah, events i did instead read of, like, that faq pack yeah 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 so it's much improved now because the first version we we made some mistakes but um uh we decided that look we can use this back at our events but maybe we should just publish it because then all the tos in the world can use it if they want to and if they don't want to that's also fine but this is how we're going to rule it at alliance open lvo you know stuff like that um so people can can see and know and um so i i wanted to do that and so i start asking around for people like who can i who are like rules lawyers and tos that are, are good at what they do and would maybe be interested in helping me with this. And then, so Gareth was one of them and we had a couple other people. Uh, so that's, uh, that's so he, how, how did my life improve? Well, I have another person I can discuss rules questions with. Yep. <laughs> uh. I've actually linked to that rules pack on one of my previous episodes where I was trying to work out what it was for because I knew someone had put something out. Um, so yeah. we found that, but yeah, it's very informative. Yeah, we got a lot of, we got a lot, of, yeah, but we got a lot of hate for it because people were saying that we were trying to be like GW, but it's like quite the opposite. It's just us discussing rules together and then saying, okay, let's rule it like this at our events, and then making it public so everyone can know. 
Uh, and then people were like, oh, you're trying to change the game. And, you, know, you don't have to use it. Yeah, like, you have to apply it to not, where necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just take out what you want or don't use it at all. I, 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 honestly, I do, I do not care. But just know that if you're coming to one of our events, this is probably how things are going to be ruled. That's all. That's all it is. It makes see, I I'm for it because it makes life easy in both aspects. The players know what to expect, and the tos yes. don't have to then answer ninety questions in three weeks because it's already all there, and then they can pick and choose what they want to put into their own packs. And yes. if they're a person that puts on more tournaments than they are a player, well, then they don't have to think about these interactions that they have no clue how they work. And if they rule incorrectly, that can be devastating for a tournament. And you've not thought anything about it. So you didn't even realize you'd done anything wrong. No. And then you've had this massive flaw come out and you're like, well, I feel bad because the tournament was slightly ruined because I've done the wrong thing. But now they have at least got an avenue to read something through and they can yes. base their, their own thoughts off of something where, well, how many people, like six people have gone through and created a, a packet and they're yeah. constant tournament organizers who host some of the largest tournaments. Why would you not want to have that information available anyway? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the really the way we thought about it and uh, decided that was the reason we wanted to publish it as well. Like we could have just kept it to ourselves and just put it in our all our packs, which would have been fine and would probably cause a lot less hate from people that people wouldn't <laughs> even notice. But because we thought like, well, people might want to just be able to access the FAQ anywhere, or other TOs might want to. So that's why the reason we just put it out. And obviously, some rulings probably. We're not the rulings people expected, or maybe some things were even wrong. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're, we are going to get some things wrong. Um, so that's that is going to happen. And then when we found out they're wrong, like people pointed out some stuff to us, and we were like, oh yeah, of course. And then we changed that. That's just it's we're not trying to like be a dictatorship of how events should rule their stuff. So I, I would recommend it to you know, just like scroll through it and like or copy paste it, and they're like, no, this is rubbish. I don't want this one. I'll take out this one. Oh, this one I'll use. You know, if you that's that's the really the, the whole setup. And I think one main thing is if you spend the ten minutes as a TO scrolling through it and removing things and adding things you like, you probably save hours of questions yes. on the day that you then now have to think about if you didn't sort of pre plan it because all these things are gonna come up because they're clearly a thing that people have thought about because the rules aren't watertight like they say they are. Um, and yeah. these interactions come up everywhere. And a lot of the times, two people will play them two different ways and they can impact the game. Exactly. And we don't want people to say, look, this happened, this is, works like this because the rules panel said so. We want people to say, at their events, this works like this. So maybe I'm going to do the same at mine. It's not like we, we said something, so it's true. It's just that, just know that we're doing it like this. And if, if you want to use it, you can. Yeah. Well, I suppose it leads nicely onto the last question. Does, uh, from Elvin Painter, does Techless know all the spells? <laughs> uh, I would rule that uh, he does, yes. Okay. <laughs> so uh, if that answers his, uh, his questions. Like, well, we'll see. Like, GW uh, said that uh, Lumineth and the Sons of Behemoth are going to get more FAQs coming out. So mm -hmm. let's see what they do. But I, I would expect him to know all the spells. Like, that's not something they're going to... I mean, it's technically like, after all it as well. <laughs> yeah, like I, I would not assume that uh, they're going to keep it like that yep. personally. Oh, awesome. Well, do you have anything you want to leave the listeners to this before we finish off the show today? Um, I don't know, man. Just make sure that uh, if you have, uh, if you go to an event, just make sure that uh, you let the TO know. Uh, you know, 
give him an easy day. You know, give him a hard day. Make sure he's appreciated. <laughs> he feels appreciated, right? And uh, if at the at the end of the event you see uh, tables are being cleaned up or something, like give him a hand. Uh, makes uh, life for TOs like a lot easier. And uh, yeah, that's uh, so that would really be something that uh, I want to uh, tell people. I think most people know, but like being aware of it, like it's 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 a lot of work and it's mostly voluntarily. Um, I I can be open and say we did a an eighty man. GT with an 80 man 40k GT last month. So 160 people total with five of us. And at the end of the event, we had like 600 euros left. That was like the margin we were working with for unexpected costs. And then we used that to buy new mats and terrain as well. So uh, I think people need to realize that uh, TOs are not, we are not organizing events to put some money in our pockets because yes. we don't. Yeah. Unless you're, unless you're, what's the, the one company in America that that's their thing anyway. That's the company. Yeah, FLG, up. right? Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, everyone else is doing it off their own back, their own free yes. time, just because they enjoy putting tournaments on and want to see the seam thrash. I, I don't exactly. think a tournament so, would be a tournament would be successful if they were trying to make money off of it and trying to get stuff out of it because no one would come back. No, I I, I agree. So um, yeah, that's the only thing. Uh, I think a lot of people know, and I don't know actually know why I just said that, but. Uh, I think it's something that people should maybe be aware about a bit more and like maybe be a bit more appreciative sometimes because I've heard stories, people, you know, blaming TOs for some stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but in the, at the end of the day, you know, he went out of his way to organize the event so you guys could play uh, and girls uh, could play. And then like this minor thing goes wrong and you're like completely, you know, going mental about it. Like, don't do that. Don't do that, people. Be nice. Be nice. <laughs> There was stressful enough to get the tournament going, let alone yes. have more stress during the day as well. For sure. Yeah. Do you have any shout outs for anyone before we end up? Yeah, for obviously, like the Alliance Open guys and, uh, and the World's Council and Ref team. Uh, and uh, I really want to thank you as well for, uh, you know, making the content. I, I, I drive to work a couple times a week uh, for like 45 minutes to an hour. So you like your content you make is like perfect. For, oh, like, perfect. Right. Awesome. So I can just like listen to, uh, you know, other people's stories and their opinions. And uh, yeah, really nice. So uh, yeah, thanks. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you very much for the compliment. I love it. <laughs> I wanted to end the show with a shout out for myself, not for myself, but a shout out to all the opponents <laughs> that I had on the weekend. So I versed like Connor and his feck, and that was a brilliant game. I versed Michael Thompson. So we have in Australia and a lot of Scottish people will have last names that are Thompson, uh, but a lot of the Thompsons are P's and me and Michael don't have a P in our last name. So we're a, a rare breed. So shout out to Michael. Uh, and then I versed Josh, a Sylvaneth player. Uh, Sylvaneth are very uh, all over the place. They're very hard to lock down. I, had, I struggled against that sort of matchup with my bone splitters. Uh, and then I versed Jared and his doc. Uh, and then Gammy. Wonderful Gammy. We finally had a game in. Three years later, we finally had a game. So it was nice to verse him and his Sylvaneth. How did you do at the event? Uh, four and one. I only lost oh, the nice. doc. Yeah. So I did have and, a... And as a team? Uh, as a team, we went 3-2. And I think we placed eighth out of overall so we were happy with that like our mentality yeah. behind it all was we are competitive players we take strong lists but we don't care if we win or lose we're there just to have fun so we, we had a ton of fun all our matchups were great well all the pairings were wonderful i think we got a lot of greens that we wanted as well and then the main thing we just had a ton of fun there we had plenty of drinks we even got nice. custom shirt made up our main team name is simple math but that was taken by one of the other teams and oh. Gabby keeps calling us simple meth. So we thought we'd go with it and made a, 
a simple meth shirt where we methed out the gorilla on the back of our shirt and make him look like a bit of a crack addict. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, cool. Thanks so much for coming on, Tom. A brilliant discussion there. I love talking about it with you with worlds and things like that. So it was great to have you on. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and have a good one. Yeah, thanks, man. You too. Thank you for listening to Unidentified Wargamer. You can find links for the guests located in the description below. You can find the show on Twitter at U underscore Wargamer. And I will see you next week.